This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We're going to have a uh, rather eclectic show today with various topics to be hit upon. That would be business as usual here, wouldn't it? We sometimes take a step back and address what is it we're trying to accomplish with Radio Parallax. And I think one answer, dear listener, is that we're trying to give you some news you can use and have some fun while doing it. We do get positive feedback about things we talk about in the program and about viewpoints we espouse. And I know at some point we're going to go into the matter of what public opinion is. I say this because I am not quite finished with crystallizing public opinion, the classic by Edward Bernays, but when I do, we're going to try and uh, uh, critique his classic 1920s look, which was almost prophetic. But I do want to just briefly quote from one paragraph from it before we truly begin the program. Said Bernays, The mental equipment of the average individual consists of a mass of judgments on most of the subjects which touch his daily physical or mental life. These judgments are the tools of his daily being, and yet they are his judgments, not on the basis of research and logical deduction, but for the most part dogmatic expressions accepted on the authority of his parents, his teachers, his church, and of his social and economic and other leaders. There's another barn burner line a couple paragraphs later I just have to quote, which is, that the Public Relations Council, which was Bernays' own term for a PR specialist, must deal with the fact that persons who have little knowledge of a subject almost invariably form definite and positive judgments upon that subject. So I guess we're trying to shape those in a positive and ethical way, of course. It's enough of that. Let's begin the program as we like to do with On This Date in History. Our date today is the 18th of July. On July 18th and 1536 in England, the authority of the Pope is declared void by an act of Parliament. And yeah, this had a few things to do with Henry VIII's uh, marital difficulties. But uh, the Vatican would strike back on the same day, July 18th, in this case in 1870, the Vatican Council proclaimed the dogma of papal infallibility, meaning that the Pope cannot be wrong when he's speaking on matters of faith, and morals. And speaking of both faith and morals, it was on July 18th in 1925 that the American Automobile Association declared women drivers to be as competent as men. And if you think we're going to make a joke about that, you are wrong. We'll be skating on some thin enough ice soon enough. July 18th, 1960, production began on American actress Marilyn Monroe's final film, The Misfits. And we're very privileged here on Radio Parallax to have interviewed her co-star, Eli Wallach, and he talked a bit about that film. Final item, July 18, 1969, John Fairfax of England becomes the first person to row solo across the Atlantic Ocean as he arrived in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And yes, boy, were his arms tired. Our quote of the day, I think we've used it before, but it's such a good one, it's worth using again, comes from George Bernard Shaw. Said G.B. Shaw, The reasonable man adapts himself to the world. The unreasonable one persists in trying to adapt the world to himself. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable man. 
to which we would add, or woman. Ms. McMillan, we are not talking about driving. Our quip of the day from mystery writer Rex Stout is that a pessimist gets nothing but pleasant surprises. Our stat of the day is that 78 of the 265 popes have been made saints, including 52 of the first 54. Anybody besides me recall that, uh, that talk by Father Guido Sarducci on this very topic? He was complaining at one point, and of course his character was that of the gossip columnist for the Il Observatore Romano, the official organ of the Vatican. Father Sarducci complained that there weren't going to be enough uh, Catholic popes to become saints because, as he said, it's all a politics. And he questioned uh, one, uh, one potential saint in particular, noting that while three miracles are required to be certified as a saint, he had it on a good authority that in this one case, two of those miracles were our card tricks. And our joke of the day, or is it our prank of the year, comes from KTVU Television in the Bay Area. When I was a kid, KTVU was an independent station. It subsequently became a Fox affiliate. And makes the joke we've always made on this program that probably the easiest job in the world would be a fact checker over at Fox. Truer than we could have possibly imagined. I'm sure, dear listener, a lot of you have seen this item on the internet, but in case you haven't, hold on to your hat. In the wake of the Asiana Airline crash at SFO, which despite the devastation, thankfully only resulted in two fatalities, the TV anchor on KTVU last week apparently without checking or reading the text put in front of her beforehand, went on air to announce that they had the names of the flight crew involved in the crash. Those names were, and I quote, Captain Sum Ting Wong, who was assisted in his cockpit duties by We Too Lo, Ho Li Fook, and my personal favorite, Bang Ding Ow. And yes, if you search around on YouTube, my dear listener, you can actually see this broadcast where someone took the time to take these names and create a graphic to accompany the newsreader. We recommend that you do this and then follow it up with the apology made by KTVU to its listeners. Which reminds us of that quote, I think, I think it comes from George Washington, which is that no excuse is better than a bad excuse. And personally, we think it's a bad excuse to try and blame this on a summer intern over at the NTSB, which is what KTVU tried to do. No, no, I'm sorry. You really should take a look at the names before you go on air with them. But this story gets even more bizarre in the, with the news that Asiana Airlines said earlier this week that it will sue KTVU for damaging the airline's reputation by using bogus and racially offensive names for four pilots on a plane that crashed. To which Radio Parallax would like to say that it's probably going to do more damage to Asiana Airlines that they tried to land an aircraft coming in at 30 knots under the stall speed. Now, while it is true that when you're taught to fly an airplane, you're advised that what you want to do is stall the aircraft just as you're putting it down on the runway. And that works perfectly if you're about 
a foot high. Oh, and more importantly, over the runway. But apparently the NTSB is also trying to finger their summer intern, saying that he erroneously confirmed the names of the flight crew. And evidently the good people over at Asiana haven't decided yet whether they're going to launch a similar suit against the NTSB. We think they probably should focus on training their pilots. And, of course, that opinion, like all those heard on this program, does not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. And then on that note, I think we should jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for being number two after Mexico overtook the United States as the world's fattest nation. Thanks to a rapidly worsening diet of fizzy soft drinks and cheap fast food, 32.8% of Mexican adults are now classified as obese compared with 31.8% of Americans. Boy, who said NAFTA isn't helping Mexico? It was, on the other hand, a bad week for double daring after Wanda Podgurski of California fled rather than face Californian charges of insurance fraud. Rather than face charges here in the state of insurance fraud, she taunted a prosecutor with a tweet reading, Catch me if you can. Police then used her Twitter account to trace her to Mexico, where she was arrested. Finally, it was an ugly week last week for swamp fishing, as seen on the History Channel, etc., ad infinitum. Well, apparently a man, I guess he wasn't in the bayou, but an Oklahoma man was trying to catch fish with his bare hands, which is apparently uh, something they do down there. They just reach into, <laughs> they reach down in murky water and try and get a large catfish to bite down on their arm, and then they pull the fish out. It is known as noodling. Well, apparently a man named Destry Mitchell was involved in this and instead grabbed a hold of a cottonmouth snake. After the poisonous reptile bit him in the arm, he spent a week in the hospital and got 14 doses of anti-venom. And we would note for the record that Mr. Mitchell does advise his fellow noodlers to, quote, be careful, unquote. Even David Letterman was making fun of these whole swamp fishing shows where the main, the main pastime seems to be murdering alligators. Letterman's like, yeah, let's, let's get him up here. Let's get him up here. Let's kill him. Let's get him. Let's kill him. And speaking of killing reptiles, how about this, uh, this item from uh, Pakistan? Apparently the Pakistani government did an investigation of what uh, was going on with Osama bin Laden living in the country for nine years. That report was leaked to Al Jazeera last week, and in its 336 pages, which was the result of an exhaustive investigation by a Pakistani Supreme Court judge, a retired general, a retired police chief, and a former diplomat, the episode was, quote, a glaring testimony to the collective incompetence and negligence, unquote, of intelligence agents and police. Well, yeah, I, I, guess, I guess you could say that. The detail I like is that apparently at one point Osama bin Laden was pulled over for speeding, but the cop didn't recognize him without his beard. And also noted that he reportedly wore a cowboy hat when strolling around his compound 
to avoid detection from above, which we have to admit probably would work. The report said it couldn't rule out the possibility that rogue elements of Pakistani intelligence had colluded with al-Qaeda to protect bin Laden. Hmm. Boy, I guess that could be also. Uh, we've talked about eating insects on this program uh, on more than one occasion in the past. Something I thought about as I was eating a squid down in Half Moon Bay last week. I was popping the calamari in my mouth. I was thinking, how, di how different can this be from eating an insect? So uh, we'll continue to talk about this in the, in the, in the future because it, it, it seems to have a future in our, uh, in our cuisine. But uh, the, the piece in New Scientist, July 6th issue, does point out there's bound to be a few catches in this, uh, in this idea. Note to the piece, there are no veterinarians for insects, but disease is certain to strike in cramped insect farms. Well, that seems for sure, but I, I wouldn't say they're correct when they say there are no veterinarians for insects. Of course there are. Peace also notes that you will need to eat quite a few to feel full. Even in insect-embracing countries, they are predominantly seen as a snack. And unless you're in the right place at the right time, like back east during one of these uh, cicada uh, eruptions, which take place every 17 years, the chances are you're not going to be able to find enough wild insects to, uh, to put on the plate in your insectivore restaurant. Anyway, it's a curious matter of research, and we will uh, continue to report on it uh, as developments arise, and they certainly are going to. And speaking of research, we get a lot of pitches from a lot of sources uh, asking us to talk about this or that uh, item of research that's being conducted. And I thought I'd share one that we turned down. Now, we poked a lot of fun here on this show at, uh, at uh, graduate schools of management, which churn out these MBAs that are then loosed upon the world with uh, the idea that they actually know something, a premise we're extremely doubtful about, having seen these guys and gals in action. I do have to confess that, you know, when, when we're hard on people like, you know, graduate schools of management, for example, I occasionally have a, you know, a pang of remorse thinking, are we being too hard on them? And then thankfully I get an email like this that <sighs> tells me, no, no, beat them, beat them with a stick. But to quote from the item which I was sent, Parents these days name their babies Jacob or Isabella instead of John or Mary for similar reasons that people decades ago bought cars with tail fins instead of Edsel's. And of course, since Edsel's had tail fins, that gives you some idea of where this is all going. But no, parents are going with Jacob or Isabella instead of John or Mary because they are fashionable, according to a new study conducted at well, somebody's graduate school of management, let's just say that. Yes, apparently a professor there reviewed favored baby name cycles since 1940, compared lists of popular names kept by the Social Security Administration with data on people's education and whether they worked or took part in cultural or arts events. Additional data come from the U.S. Census Bureau and the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. Whew, boy, sounds pretty exhaustive, doesn't it? The professor observed that the so-called cultured parents tended to start baby name trends and then others adopted those names. When the names became popular, the cultured parents were the first to drop usage of those popular names. Boy, this is news you can use, isn't it? 
They did admit in the press release, quoting the professor, there are no consistent patterns in when a name starts becoming popular or when it starts dropping. In this respect, these cycles resemble stock market and real estate bubbles. Boy, thank God those folks at the Graduate School of Management have their finger on the economic pulse of this country, don't, wouldn't you say? Oh, and just to send, I've got another press release. Apparently, the Graduate School of Management has conducted a socio-religious study of the pontiff and concluded that he is, in fact, a Catholic. But no, these MBA guys, bring them in as consultants. They're doing, they're doing a bang-up job out there. Was it Wilson Misner that said that uh, a consultant is someone that uh, comes in, borrows your watch, tells you what time it is, and then keeps the watch? And the couple of minutes we have left, we want to again uh, compliment the Sacramento News and Review for being on it in terms of the Bay Delta Conservation Plan fiasco or impending fiasco which Jerry Brown and some water corporate interests are uh, trying to put over on the public. piece by Ken Smith in last week's uh, SNNR talked about a new water lawsuit where activists are explaining their actions against uh, Jerry Brown's Delta plan. The piece quotes a Carolee Krieger, executive director of the California Water Impact Network, noting that, uh, referring to the people behind the BDCP, they decided to follow the lamentable precedent of caving to powerful corporate interests. We don't have time to talk much about this in detail today, but you can bet your ass we're going to return to it in the weeks to come. Although I have about five items in front of me, I want to end on one that's not a downer. So let's end with this. We talked with uh, Phil Proctor of the Fireside Theater on last week's program, and Phil wants us to know that the surviving members of the group are inaugurating an upcoming online radio service titled Firesign Radio. And that Phil Austin, David Osman, and Mr. Proctor will be appearing at the Soul Fest in Hopland, California, which is in Mendocino County, on August 17th. If any of you are inclined to take that in, and probably a few of you are. Let's take a short break. I'm Douglas Ebert. This is Radio Parallax. Stick around. Hiya, friends. Ralph Sportsport. Ralph Sportsport Motors, the world's largest new used and used automobile dealership. Ralph Sportsport Motors here in the city of Emphysema. Let's just look at the extras on this fabulous car. Wire wheel, spoke fenders, two-way sneeze through, wind vents, star sun, mudguard, sponge coated, edible steering column, chrome fender dents, and factory air conditioned air from our fully factory equipped air conditioned factory. It's a beautiful car, friends, with doors to match. Birch's blacklist says this automobile was stolen, but for you, friends, a complete price, only $2,500. An easy monthly payment to run a week, twice a week, and never on Sunday. I'll take it. I'll take it. I can't wait to get away from it all. 